ladies and gentlemen, this is Scott Mason's Inverted Cranium, bridge by bridge, note by note, scene by scene, bite by bite. This is the Inverted Cranium, your, the portal to Scott Mason's mind. I'm your host, Scott Mason. Today we are going to talk about one of my favorite documentaries and how it can teach you how to baby-proof your credibility as as you take your first steps into using Gen AI services. Now, this documentary has absolutely nothing to do with Gen AI, but first let's go over a little bit of the jargon. What is well, first let's start with what is artificial intelligence or AI? I know that gets thrown around a lot and the fact that we've had movies so many movies about it certainly convolutes things. So Artificial intelligence is basically a principle or service that performs functions that normally require human judgment or perception, basically things that require human thought and human comprehension. So when a recruiter at a company is using software to make sure that all of the people who make it to the first round of interviews has at least seven out of 10 of the required job skills to qualify for the position. That is a form of artificial intelligence, though it's an older one. When your Netflix account tells you, here are the things you may want to watch, that is a form of artificial intelligence because it is mimicking human preference your preferences specifically. And when you type a prompt into chat GPT to, let's say, give you t- 20 podcast ideas, that is a form of what's called generative AI, which is the form of AI that's really got a lot of people spooked right now. Because um, really, what happens if it supplants creatives? It really Really, we live in scary times, but we're going to have to live with them for the time being, so we might as well adapt. So now on to my favorite documentary, which, as I said, has absolutely nothing to do with artificial intelligence, but there are some commonalities for the creative process that are very, very relevant. And so on to my favorite documentary, or one of them, It Might Get Loud. In It Might Get Loud, Jimmy Page of Led Zeppelin, The Edge of U2, and Jack White of the White Stripes get together to discuss their views on the electric guitar. Basically, how the creative process works for them, who their inspirations were, and what they believe the future is. And all the while, you do see a lot of amazing performances from a lot of other musicians who inspired them. And... Really, it's worth seeing if you're a rock and roll fan or if you like this episode and really want to see how how my mind works and how I came up with these ideas of what it can teach. So let us start with Jimmy Page. So part of me wonders that the whole reason Jimmy Page was there was to keep Jack White humble. Really, because... His arguments are very askew from what The Edge and Jack White believe. The whole documentary would be compelling if he wasn't even there because Jack White and The Edge are so polar opposites on what they believe the future of the guitar is and what the creative process should be. Jack White 
if you're familiar with Jack White, he's a little bit of a diva. He does throw a little bit of jabs at Edge and occasionally tries to finish Jimmy Page's thoughts. But when Jimmy Page plays the riff of Whole Lot of Love, you could just see a sense of awe mixed with like the soul, the souls of Jack White and the Edge just slowly floating out of their bodies. They're just totally, totally like stunned. It's like, okay, yeah, now I realize why this guy's so good. <laughs> so Page's big inspirations were his earliest inspiration. You see a very old clip of Jimmy Page, probably about nine or 11, playing in what's called a skiffle band. Skiffle is very, very English jazz rock ability, Billy. It is frankly not something you'd probably want to listen to all that much. Uh, he was also heavily he was also heavily influenced by Link Ray's instrumental rumble. Now, if you've ever watched a movie where there's where someone walks into a dusty bar in the middle of nowhere, there's probably about a nine out of chance that rumble is playing on the radio. Like most notable example, Independence Day, when the uh, guy Russell Case, who was abducted by the aliens, walks into a bar after dusting the wrong field. It is very powerful guitar work. And Page's views on creativity is that when he was in a skiffle band or an early blues cover band or even as a session musician, he just wasn't feeling like he was in his element because he was writing someone else's work. He basically didn't feel like he was really getting what he wanted out of being a songwriter and a guitarist until he joined the Yardbirds. And I became a Yardbirds fan after I saw a performance of Heart Full of Soul in this movie. It's just such a great, serene blues song. I love it. Now, Paige, his views on the on what the songwriting process actually is, it's not really helpful. He's very almost Aristotelian. Like, he has no idea where creativity comes from. He has no idea how to be creative. He just believes that it is inherent, that it is what it is. It's very post-Aristotelian, kind of like what humanists replace divine inspiration with. Like, inspiration coming from your own two hands instead of Apollo or Athena. <laughs> and he just doesn't have the ability to um, describe his methods. Because it's just never the same. Just sit, on, sit down at a guitar, play until your style develops on its own without copying someone else. So Paige was part of the record industry at a time when there were a lot of gatekeepers. It was a very, very small club and different aspects of songwriting were rewarded, were rewarded. Guitar heroism, basically. 20-minute guitar solos, 20-minute drum solos, and it's not really, it, was, it wasn't a big market then, and it just isn't actionable from a musician's perspective at this day and age. However, it is surprisingly valuable from the perspective of being a new user of, let's say, ChatGPT or Canva AI, and that is... He's valuable for taking the baby steps. 
in other words, the steps where you absolutely don't want to show anyone your work because you can't just be trusted to do it in ways where you protect your own credibility. This is like the wee hours of the morning when you aren't on the company dime. Advice. Now, what I really did appreciate, though, about Jimmy Page was basically how, when he stopped caring about criticism. It was after Zeppelin released their fourth album. Now, if you're not all familiar with Led Zeppelin on a nitpicky song level, Zeppelin 4 has a lot of the reasons people even know that Led Zeppelin exists. Stairway to Heaven, Black Dog, When the Levee Breaks. It's really why they are still relevant through all these years. And at least some magazines that reviewed it wrote one paragraph, literally one paragraph about Zeppelin 4. So it's basically just all right, if they're not going to think about what we're doing, if they don't appreciate what we're doing, I'm just not going to care about reviews at all. Now, I'm not saying don't ignore performance reviews, don't ignore any of those things, or just don't be a total renegade who doesn't care about anything. But you're not going to be appreciated 100% of the time. You're not going to really be appreciated even when you catch lightning in a bottle. So... His advice, his, well, not really advice, his experience is certainly valuable. Now on to The Edge. Now, none of these musicians are part of bands that are my absolute favorites. And I'm gonna be honest, U2 is near the bottom of that list for me, honestly, because of how soft their sound is for me. And... There, but there still are a lot of things I really appreciate about U2. Now, Edge's thesis is that the future of guitar is basically effects and sound editing. Basically, he has so many effects that he could play a, a concert, and, in tw- and over 20 songs, he won't use the same effect more than once. And... It's really where the vast majority of his creativity takes place before he even sets foot on stage. Now, unless you've actually taken a sound design course, you might be thinking, well, why the heck is he a performer? Now, having taken a sound design course in college, I happen to know that there is a lot of creative choices to recording a sound effect. I'll give you my favorite example after seeing Godzilla Minus One which is a movie more than worthy of a podcast episode as well at some point. Once it starts streaming, it, given the fact that its release is limited, I don't want to do that until more people can see it at once. But Godzilla's Roar is a pine resin-covered leather glove being dragged over the strings of a double bass and subjected to editing. Obviously, you can't you can't record the roar of an actual dinosaur, or never mind that, an atomic-powered dinosaur. So people had to figure out how to make that sound in real life. And you see, actually, Edge recording at least one type of guitar effect by taking a portable recording device and pointing his guitar at an ocean in the tide to create a weird, wavy effect. That's the kind of stuff sound designers need to figure out. Also, another favorite sound effect in movies 
is the X-Wing. This one I'm not as sure about, but if I remember correctly, they put a bunch of coins in a blender and just turned it on. And these are the choices every sound designer needs to make, and guitar effects designers are no different. You can't create sound out of a vacuum. It needs to be... People need to figure out how to make the initial sound in real life. The other thing I really love about The Edge is that he basically... You can't separate his love of sound design with the Troubles in Ireland. He's very... He's very much... He sees sound editing as a way to make the world a better place. It's how he sees it as improving what's already there. And that is very, very touching. Now, Edge's anti-inspirations, he actually had plenty of those, and he had inspirations as well. I'll start with the inspirations. So his inspirations, and by inspirations I mean positives, is is basically 70s punk bands. He was blown away when he basically saw the jam a lot of british punk bands and also um, new york punk bands when they toured beforehand like you see brief performances of bands like the jam the clash the sex pistols the buzzcocks yes that is their name they're more or less a pop band that played really really fast and a performance of and even a performance of my first love of punk bands the ramones he Edge was heavily inspir- inspired by all of those, partly because there just was so much more appreciation of the own and intimacy with the own fan base than what came before, which leads into some of the anti-inspirations. So the economic hardships of Dublin in the 70s weighed heavily on his mind. The um, early 70s arena rock bands like, let's say, Led Zeppelin were not his cup of tea because th- there was just so much disdain for their own fan base who just made, who just had to sit and watch while a drummer just slammed a snare and a bass and a cymbal over and over in sporadic patterns for 30 minutes straight. And finally, probably the most gripping inspiration for The Edge as a songwriter and a guitarist is the Irish Republican Army. And it's just, there's no denying that Edge grew up in the harshest climate compared to, let's say, Jimmy Page or Jack White. And he just, he's definitely the most optimistic in terms of songwriting. He's just, he's the most socially conscious. And he's definitely the most concerned about making the world a better place. That, however, is not how I would endorse going about in your initial journey for shielding your credibility from over-reliance on artificial intelligence. So Edge basically um, uses effects to make his, his simple chord sound much more wavy or loud or echoey. Now, You could probably do that with artificial intelligence, but the risk of fully automating your own work is just too high as a professional learning how to to use emerging tech. So I would not endorse... I mean, sure, I'd probably... The Edge is probably the person I'd love to have a drink with the most. But 
I probably wouldn't want to take his advice for learning how to use generative AI in well-intended ways because as a nonprofit professional, I do not want to jeopardize my own credibility by irresponsibly resorting to a generative AI service without doing my own due diligence to make sure that my work is relevant, accurate, and actionable immediately. So now that brings me to my final and ironically most relevant um, person in this documentary as, as I make a case for how to responsibly use generative AI to further your own career without, well, to use a rock and roll reference, blowing up your speakers. (laughs) So Jack White of the White Stripes, hailing from Southwest Detroit, his thesis is very simple. Make my job harder. So Jack White basically believes that we are that we have an obligation to as creatives to make our jobs more challenging because ease of use is basically a disease that every creative professional has to fight it is literally this is actually a quote from jack white that i love about him it makes it about and it's about technology in general which could easily apply to generative ai It makes it easier and you can get home sooner, but it doesn't make you a more creative person. That's the disease you have to fight in any creative field. Ease of use. So now, one of my favorite ways of using ChatGPT, and that is basically to use like, to make it write SWOT analysis, a SWOT analysis, or set smart goals or make them smarter. Every organization does that. Every organization needs to make things a little bit clearer, And I also love using it to like shorten or make some of my content more concise, but I always check my work at the end. Now to circle back to what I like about Jack White. Um, What I like about Jack White, even though I kind of jumped the gun on explaining what I love about his work ethic, because really it's his views on creativity are so much more valuable than just even, like, how you approach your professional life. And I will circle back. Now, I'm sure Jack White didn't come up with the idea of making your job harder, creating disadvantages for yourself, like trying to play a song with three strings instead of six on your guitar, um, deliberately playing on one side of the stage so you have to run even faster to get to the piano when you need to change instruments. It's really... Uh, he didn't. He definitely didn't come up with it because if you've ever seen the Princess Bride, Mo- Indigo Montoya's backstory, where he was trained by a Scotsman, was to train with disadvantages and debilitating conditions, and to create a sense of adaptability. And well, that's basically what Jack White ended up doing with songwriting. So Jack White's biggest inspirations are thirties blues. Like, basically, Sunhouse is his biggest inspiration. There's a song by Sunhouse that's just a, a guy clapping and singing off-key, out of tune, and just not caring. It's one man against the world with virtually nothing facing adversity, and it's really his most inspiring song. 
that he has ever heard for himself. And just so you know, anyone who has ever told you that Led Zeppelin is a White Stripes major influence doesn't understand, is just hearing the production value. That is, he'd probably be offended. Now, there's some key distinctions between, let's say, 30s blues and other blues styles that started emerging in from 60s onward. 30s blues is just dread and anxiety and pain and sadness. It's literally why the blues is called the blues. And I just love the sound of just, it's just so much more raw. I mean, I started listening to Blind Gary Davis because you see him performing a a video of him playing Death Don't Have No Mercy in This Land. It's so, it's so powerful. And now I love the blues. It's practically made for the guitar. It's practically, or the guitar was practically made for it or other way around. And not just like 30s blues. I love Chicago blues when it's louder and more electric and also a little more down and dirty. But my absolute favorite form of blues, and this is a tangent, is what's called Mississippi Hill Country Blues or just Hill Country Blues. Hill Country Blues is defined by a regular, a regular tempo, a regular tempos and rhythms, chord, very few chord changes, and really just it's heavily inspired by drum and fife blues, but it's more raw. It's more adaptable to let's say hip hop or 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 techno or punk. A lot of punk blues. A lot of punk blues bands love Hill Country Blues, like John Spencer Blues Explosion, Flat Duo Jets. They just love that style because of how simple and raw and raucous and hard-hitting it is. But that's a blues tangent. So how can Jack White's work ethic help you in terms of AI? Well, first off, AI use, you're really just you really need to consider every time you sit down in front of a chat GPT prompt to write a chat GPT prompt or use one of the numerous emerging Canva apps to create um, avatars that talk or whatnot. That, that app, by the way, is called HeyGen that I'm referencing. And basically, you need to Go in knowing how much of your own will and due diligence and work ethic you are willing to supplant through automation. There's just no way around it because at the end of the day, and with any project, the tools are never what gets held accountable if something goes awry. It is always the user. And now I'd like to basically talk about how else I... I find Jack White's approach so inspiring. Well, for starters, if you're a musician, he's basically he basically goes into how he just got away with having a with like not having a lot of experience, not having a high budget, not having a um not really having a lot to work with and just learning how to capitalize on it. It's part of why he and Meg White just started dressing up like peppermint candies. It's it was complementing the minimalistic style of their sound and just looking more childish while still sounding raw. It's pure juxtaposition. 
I am not just inspired by Jack White's work ethic because of what it can actually teach you as a professional, like learning to test the waters and maintain your credibility in the age of automation. I actually applied Jack White's work ethic to the 5K training I recently did on my own time. Basically, for those not in the know, I recently ran my first race. It was a 5K, so that's about 3.1-ish miles. And I managed to complete partly because of, I guess, I I subjected myself to a couple different di- disadvantages on some of my runs, mainly to develop a sense of adaptability. Can't comment entirely on how much they helped one more than the other. Like, I on, on Halloween, I ran just dressed as a Ramon. So I ran with jeans on, with a leather jacket on, and with, with transition lens sunglasses at night. So that's extra weight on my body. I practiced running through crowds to develop a sense of adaptability because I've never run a race before. In New York City, there's tons of people. I needed to be ready for that mentally, and the only way to do it was to get some practice with it in advance. And probably my favorite is that when I attended some of my running club events, I would actually try to put some strain on my lungs by singing, well, for starters, I'd sing Bullet on Butterfly Wings by um, uh, Smashing Pumpkins. I'd eventually graduate to singing House of the Rising Sun, which is an old folk song, Rising Sun Blues, that was performed by the animals, made famous by the animals. And then I graduated to singing the version that was performed by a punk band called Adolescence, which I am who I am seeing next year. Totally excited. And finally, I ended with singing Fell in Love with a Girl by, by White Stripes. And also, finally... One line of a pre- one last reason I really appreciate the existence of the White Stripes is there are really two types of content. Well, actually three now that I've started this podcast, so we'll start from there. That really get me excited and feeling good. Puppy videos. There's actually a Psychology Today article at, I read a while ago that showcased the benefits of puppy videos. How it's actually how watching them is actually a healthy form of procrastination. Obviously, procrastination is a bad thing, but there are very different levels of it that could be of at least some well-being. And finally, content like Jack White doing a duet of Fell in Love with a Girl by with Kermit the Frog in The Muppets. After, while, Colonel, while Kermit is basically having some trouble with Miss Piggy driving down the street, Jack White pulls up beside him and they just decide to just get in the car together and just rock out to fell in love with a girl. It is worth seeing on its own. That is, those are the kinds of content that give me some pleasure in life. Anyway, that was my take on generative AI and, and how it is relevant to a documentary that had nothing to do with generative AI. It might get loud. Now, ladies and gentlemen, bridge by bridge, scene by scene, Bite by bite, note by note, this is the inverted cranium.